listening to the Living Room North Living Room North podcast. Well, it is, uh, it is great to see your faces, um, get to meet so many of you, and I'm always reminded of the first TLR of the semester that uh, there are noobs in the house, and I love it because there's always that timidity, like on a first date, you know, it's like, can I really be myself here? Um, and so it's fun because normally on a normal Wednesday night, you know, it's, it's a little cray-cray. We're, we're shouting, you know, at each other. It's, it's, it's high volume. So we love it because there's a part of us that gets excited when we, when we see new people. Uh, we love a little bit sometimes of, of the awkwardness of like, this is so new to me. Um, but we're really, really excited uh, to be here with you guys tonight. And um, here's the thing. A lot of times when I'm up here, I, I might start off uh, with a rhetorical question. Uh, I'm not going to do that tonight. I am going to start with a question that I really need you to uh, uh, engage with. Okay. All right. Cool. When I say cool, you say beans. Cool. Beans. Okay, let's try it again. Cool. Beans. Okay, cool. One of my favorite uh, phrases. But he, here's where I want us to start tonight. It's this question right here. Where is home? Where is home to you? And what I love about uh, the living room and I love about kind of hanging out with college students is we, we all come from different backgrounds, different types of places, right? And if you're like most, the default, when you hear a question like that, you immediately go to maybe like a physical location, your hometown. And so I legitimately am curious and I want you to shout to me, like where is, when you hear that, where is home to you? Like I'll just raise your hand, you could just shout it out. Where's home to you? Yes, back there in the back. The gym, okay, all right, Captain CrossFit. Who else? Yes, ma'am. My grandparents. Your grandparents' house, that's sweet, that's sweet. Where, what about anybody else? What is home to you? Where are you from? Anybody like from like forever? Okay, yeah, I see that hand, where are you from? Where is that? Cartersville, Cartersville, Georgia, right? Yes, I, I went skydiving over Cartersville one time. Uh, yeah, it was weird. Um, where else? Where's home? Anybody else? Yes, I see. Where you go? Wisconsin. Wisconsin? Are you serious? All the way from Wisconsin? Awesome. What's your name? Jessica. I'm sorry? Jessica. Jessica. I thought you said Scova. And I was like, that, that is a name. Um, <laughs> Jessica, it's so great to meet you. I can't believe you came here all the way from Wisconsin. What, what do you think of Georgia so far? Nice and warm. Nice and warm. I bet it, I bet it is. A lot less cheese. Um, all right. Uh, anybody else? Anybody else? Yeah. You, sir. Minnesota? Minnesota? That's awesome. Minnesota, right next to Wisconsin, I think. I never graduated. Uh, okay. Well, here, here's the thing. What I love is that we think about home again, and we, we usually default to our hometowns, right? And even when I was asking you that, and you started hearing some folks share, you might have kind of drifted back to where your hometown was. Some of you, maybe your hometown is this zip code. Others, again, are from out of state. But as you get older, and as you start to move around, and as you start to kind of live your life, even past college, and settle down, uh, other places kind of show up where then you might start to call it home. And so for me, I actually grew up in Knoxville, Tennessee. Um, but the reality is I haven't been, uh, that's not been my home for 20 something years. All right. I'm 43 years young. I was born, my kids love to say uh, and are shocked to hear that I was born in 1978. They call it the 1900s, <laughs> which is awesome that they call it that. 
Um, but here's the thing. Uh, when I think about home, I, I start here. This is a picture of my family. And so because we are new to each other, a number of you in the room uh, might not know a little bit. That's my family. That's my bride, Ellen, uh, of uh, 16 years. These are my three dudes. Um, Jackson's in the middle. Um, he just started sixth grade, uh, already crushing middle school. And then we've got twins, Carter and Maddox. Maddox is on the left. Um, Maddox, uh, about probably... 20 minutes after this photo, had to get a new pair of uh, boxer briefs because he almost stepped on a copperhead. Um, so that is my family. But up until about four months ago, we really, really, really would call this place home, 3535 Divine Bend, coming, comma, Georgia, 30040. Isn't that an adorable? You can go, aw. Oh, that's a very adorable house, right? And look at the sun coming up, okay? Apparently that roof has been touched by an angel. Um, but that was a house that we lived in for eight years, okay? It's the longest house I had ever lived in personally. And so up until about four months ago, this was home for us, but we would actually move um, neighborhoods literally like a, a minute down the road, need a little bit more square feet. And, um, but here's the thing, a couple of folks that know uh, me are like, hey, how's the move going? How's your new home? Does it feel like home? And I gotta be honest, it, it doesn't yet. But one of the things that right before we moved out, about a couple of weeks before, I had this idea. And my family was just gonna have to play along. I was like, hey, this is what I wanna do. I wanted to go in every single room of our house and literally just have, have a snack there, have a meal there, you know, like have a Capri Sun, tons of Capri Suns in a household of dudes, and just talk about the memories that have happened in each of those rooms. And at first it was kind of like, ugh, you know, like whatever. And then we just started kind of laughing and, and talking about, you know, like the first time these things happened and the first time those things happened. And then we started kind of going around and I started getting emotional. And I'm up in the twins room because this is the house that we brought the twins home in. This is the only home that they've ever known. And as we're kind of packing up boxes, all the things, I'm like leaving their bedroom and I look over in the corner at their window and I see a little tiny baby handprint. And I, right, right? You're like, oh. Uh, and I started crying. And I started really crying. And I feel like, man, I needed a really good, am I right ladies? Sometimes you just need a really good cry. Um, and so that was going on and my, my dudes are like, what is going on with our father? Um, but we started doing that and we started just to, just again, going room from room and just home for us. It, it wasn't just that, it was all sorts of just memories. And those were kind of coming up. And that's why I got so emotional. And then I asked Ellen, I'm like, as we're leaving, I'm like, hey, well, how do you, how do you want to tie a bow on this? And she was like, well, maybe, maybe just a small kiss. And I was like, can I upgrade that? Um, and whoa, mine's out of the gutters. Like, uh, I was just thinking more of like a makeout sesh, guys. Pump the brakes. Um, she would have nothing of that. She would roll her eyes as she often does. But we would get in the, uh, we'd get in the moving truck. We'd, we'd, again, we'd travel right down the road. And we still, we, we love our house. Okay, and don't get me wrong, okay? 
Um, I'm not going to miss, you know, kind of like we, our basement kind of smelled a little bit, you know, at this place. I'm not going to miss that. I'm not going to miss some of the shady neighbors that we, that we had. Uh, I'm not going to miss a number of things about this, uh, this location. But the truth is, um, we're going to miss it a lot because home was way more than just a place. And a home, as you guys know, is, is way more than just brick and mortar, a location with a mailbox. It's a place with memories, right? The feeling that you get when you kind of walk into it, the things that we experience were a part of these homes. And so it, it makes a lot of sense, right? Because you, you know the old adage, right? Home is where the... Yeah, good job, guys. You're, you're, you're already crushing college, all right? Home is where the heart is. And that's right, because it basically means that home is way more than just a place. It's again, the idea, it's not just wrapped into a home as a physical location, because you can't really put it fully into words. And so maybe some of this rings true for you. Home is really where some of the greatest affections that you, that you ever had for people, maybe that's where they lie. Home is where your friendships were born and memories are made. Home is, is attached to certain neighborhoods that you had learned to ride bikes on and stuff like that. Home is maybe the first time that you looked in the mirror and kind of learned to brush your teeth for the first time. Or maybe the first time you looked in the mirror and you're like, okay, that is a weird face. Um, <laughs> And you start having these very interesting internal dialogues. Home is where you can actually just be your full self. Home is where your family is. Home is where there's no fear of judgment. Home is a place where you can continue to grow in who you hopefully wanna be and you're safe to do that. And home is really a place where you can belong. And so it's easy, I think, for you and me to define home as a space, as a location, again, with the walls that we grew up in and the neighborhoods that we grew up in and run around with, but it's bigger than that. And I believe, and I continually experience this, that the older that we get, no matter how old we get, no matter where we travel to, there are things that we're always looking to find in a semblance of home. And so I was thinking about this. A lot of these things I feel like are universal no matter what season of life. We're looking for these things. We're looking to find love. We're looking for family, belonging, and a sense of authenticity. And I think if you probably took some time to inventory that, you're like, yeah, I'm, I might... I might be looking for those things or I might even have those things. That's actually probably more of what I feel like home is. So no matter, again, where you're at in life, whether you're 18 or 43, no matter if you're in college, out of college, I think you're looking and searching for certain types of things. You wanna be surrounded by people who get you, who know you. You wanna be surrounded by people who laugh at your jokes. You wanna be surrounded by people who, again, they just, they're totally okay with the warts and all that you have. They're okay with you not being okay. No matter where you're at in life, you desire a place to where you can let your guard down with no fear of rejection. And no matter where you go, no matter how old you get, trust me, I think we all want, even need a place where we absolutely know we can belong. And so uh, that's the reason why um, if, it's, if it's you're here for the first time, you will hear us say all the time that we want this place to be a home away from home. 
And it doesn't take much, you know, like rocket science to figure out that for a lot of you, um, this is probably a, a great phrase. Because for the first time in your life, uh, you're a little transient. Because there might be, again, for you folks who are actually in college right now and at college, uh, you might be away from your home for like nine months out of the time. And so you're kind of like acting like a nomad for like nine months, all right? Just going to sometimes in college life, apartment to apartment, basement to basement, friend's couch to friend's couch, Chick-fil-A to Chick-fil-A, Starbucks to Starbucks, right? Until, you know, again, like in just, in just trying to survive. And I, I didn't on purpose say Panda Express to Panda Express, or Taco Bell or Taco Bell, because honestly, I don't think you would make it through college if you did that all the time. You'd probably die from diarrhea. But um, <laughs> so here's the thing, in college, no matter more, any time than ever, and maybe for some of you for the first time and forever, again, you're looking for a sense of a, a family, a place where you can really, really belong and connect to find all of these things, love, family, belonging, authenticity, a home away from home. And tonight we're gonna to talk a little bit more about that. And for some of you, you've heard this and I hope that it falls on, on fresh ears. And for those of you that are brand new, I hope that you, again, you kind of start to understand a little bit more about our hope and our prayer for what we want the living room to be. And so here's the reality. Um, when we interface with college age adults and we invite them to a place like this, a church like this, um, if you are new, it always happens. Sometimes people, when they hear about, oh wait, you guys are a church? Ugh, they kind of pump the brakes a little bit. And especially if you're like, hold on a second, this idea of church being kind of like a home is, is a little foreign to me, Ryan. And I think that's true. Because I think for the case for a lot of you, at least if statistics are true, for a lot of folks that are of your age, some folks have this reality. The church is known for what they're against. They're known for, for harsh things, for bad things. And so I know that there's folks in this room tonight that you're, you're literally, you're, you're not really sure maybe what you believe about faith or, or, you know, again, to you, church has always been this, this idea of religion. Some of you are in here and you're like, hey, you know what? I, uh, I don't really feel out of, I, I kind of just feel out of place at church. And I, honestly, I was a little timid even to come here tonight because of my background. And I've just never really felt safe at a church because I've always felt criticized or I've always just been around people who just, they're just very legalistic. And maybe some of you, maybe that's not your story. Maybe you grew up in church, right? Maybe, maybe you've been coming to church your whole life. For some of you, maybe you've been coming to this church uh, for your whole life and you kind of come in and you, you get your worship on and you get your Jesus fix and then you, you take off and then you leave. And that would make sense, right? That would make complete sense that church at, at like as a home would be weird, would be bizarre. But here at the living room, hear me say, here at Brown's Bridge, we really hope and pray that that's different. We really hope and pray that that's a different experience for you because we wanna put a premium on people over programs. We wanna put a premium on relationships over religion. We wanna put a premium on compassion over criticism and a premium on love 
over legalism. And why is that? Well, because we believe that Jesus did that. We believe that the fact that uh, the matter is, if you read through the, the New Testament, Jesus prioritized people over programs, relationships over religion, compassion over criticism, and love over realism to such a degree that it started attracting some of the craziest people around that time. In fact, if you read the New Testament, sometimes they're labeled as notorious sinners or the bad people that really made the religious leaders of the day very uncomfortable and angry. And Jesus really pushed the envelope with this and ways on earth in so many crazy different ways, but especially in a way of how he answered this foundation question. This foundational question that I want us to talk about tonight is who belongs in the family of God? Who belongs in the family of God? Do you belong? Do I belong? Does your roommate belong? Some of you are like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> what do you have to do to belong? And this is actually one of the most foremost discussed questions in the New Testament narrative. And it's a huge question because if you think about it and if you were real, there's nothing worse than feeling like you don't belong. That you don't belong somewhere, to belong a part of that group or this group. And so Jesus' answer to this question flipped the first century up over end. And I think Jesus uh, answered this in such a beautiful way that I hope that it kind of flips us a little bit. Uh, UNG and Lanier Tech and all of our folks here uh, from the North Georgia area. And he does that. He kind of answers the question through some parables that we find in Luke 15. And so if you have your Bibles, um, you don't have to have a Bible, okay? Uh, just so we're, we're clear on that. If it's your first time, we're always going to be teaching out of the scriptures and we're gonna put it on the screens. But I would encourage you, especially when we start our new series next week, if you got a, a Bible, bring it. If you want to download the Bible app, do that. You know, if you're like, I could care less about Jesus uh, or God or the church or whatever, I'm never going to bring a Bible because I'm never going to own one. Guess what? No big deal. All right. No judgment there. Um, if you ever want us to kind of like, hey, I, I don't even know where to get a Bible. We'll, we'll, we'll hand you one. All right. Probably right next to the Sour Patch Kids. Okay. All right. Okay. So Luke 15. Luke says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. All right. Now, again, this is a very, very interesting scene. All right. One, honestly, that was pretty common around that time when Jesus was kind of on the scene. You would have outcasts. You would have no names. Again, you would have these bad people, these sinners, the, the worst of the worst wanted to and was attracted to. And again, we're following hard after Jesus and they were super eager to hear what he had to say. And then you have the Pharisees, you have the teachers of the law, and then kind of watch from afar of who, who he was kind of befriending and who was attracted to him. And it started upsetting them. It started obviously making them like, oh my gosh, you, you mean that, that if you're gonna have a meal with these people, that's like associating with them. 
And so obviously for them, that, that was disgusting. They did not like that idea of community. They did not like that idea of family that Jesus was building. And so for the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, they saw religion as this. They saw religion as a system of exclusion. Religion as a system of exclusion. Again, if you don't, if you don't believe like us, if you don't look like us, if you don't pray like us, you're out. You're excluded. You can't be a part of what God's doing. You're not welcome. You can't even talk with us. You can't even walk with us. You can't go to synagogue with us. And religion was a way to draw a line in the sand of who could be a part of the family and who can't be. But Jesus was about building a relationship with them. Jesus was about building a relationship way more and way before he was interested in trying to change them. So what he does and what we're going to look at, he responds to the Pharisees with three different types of parables. Basically, again, if you've never heard of a parable, it's a story that kind of illustrates uh, a key lesson that they're trying to get away, you know, or to give away. And as, again, as they describe to us, each of them in their unique way, one of the things that I want us to pay attention to, again, is this concept of what we sang about tonight, is this, this familial love of the Heavenly Father. And so the first we're going to talk about is the parable of the lost sheep. Anybody ever heard this? Anybody ever heard this kind of quick parable? Yeah, a few of you. Basically, Jesus tells this parable, this story of a shepherd who has a hundred sheep, but loses one. And so he's, he's left, again, the 99 sheep behind, right? Again, you might have heard this before. And so here's the reality. Jesus asked the question, hey, well, what does the shepherd do? And then Jesus quickly responds, well, obviously um, he leaves the 99 and goes after the one. Now, I don't know about you, but, but 99 is pretty much the same to me as 100. Like if you walked up to me and I had $99 in my back pocket, rarely carry cash, and you had 100 bucks, I'd be like, ah, it's no big deal. You know, like it's just, it's one off. It's like, I'm not, it doesn't even phase me. You know, I'm not even thinking about you, you know. But again, the shepherd not only goes to the search for the lost, he leaves the 99, which is risky. And so even reading and preparing for tonight, you know, I did a little deep dive on sheep. I don't know if you've ever done that. CC, I don't know, again, as a, as a rodeo buff, if you've, ever, if you've ever crossed hairs with a sheep. Sheeps are dumb. <laughs> they really are. And so the reason why this is risky is like if he left the 99 by themselves, again, you have the, the idea of wolves potentially coming and eating them, okay, and taking them away. Sheeps are also dumb enough to where un, unshepherded, they might mosey on and then fall off a cliff, okay? True story. So this, again, this is risky to leave the 99 just for the one. But the shepherd goes on a search, finds the sheep, brings the sheep home, and then there is a, this massive celebration in the story. Maybe they had a, a sheep pinata. But here's what I want you to know. The parable of the lost sheep is essentially this right here, a display of the illogical love of God. It's a display of the illogical love of God. The kind of love that makes you go, huh, no, wait, that's a little bizarre. Wait, what? <laughs> that doesn't even make sense. Why would you risk all of that just for one? Jesus goes on to tell the next parable. Here's the next parable. It's called the parable of the lost coin. And so essentially you got this woman, you know, like she's just on this pursuit. She's not gonna stop until she finds this coin. 
And the actual verbiage that Jesus uses in the text right here is to communicate to the woman tore the place just apart trying to find this lost coin. She was just relentless in trying to find it. You ever, you ever lost something? You ever lost something that was of significant value, meaning, worth? You ever like lost your phone, your wallet, and you're like, <gasps> and you do whatever you can, you retrace your steps. So this woman, again, she's, she's just going crazy and she eventually finds the coin and there's this massive celebration because the coin that was once lost was found. Again, this is a display of this right here, the relentless love of God. This is a picture of the relentless love. So he tells those two parables and then he tells a third, all right? He tells a third story that is probably the most known of the bunch. You've probably heard it before, but let me pause because here's what I know. That this story for some of you is like gonna be like, oh, you know, heard this, done that, bought the t-shirt. Um, I just have been praying that you would, you would hear this anew. You would hear this fresh. One of my favorite authors talks about this story that we're gonna get into in a second. As like, you know, when you're out on a lake, not like Lanier, that's a bad example because it's, it's shady and has dead bodies, but um, when you're on a really clear lake or a really clear body of water, and you ever gotten to a point where you can like see down all the way to the bottom? You ever been there? Tim Keller talks about for this story is like being on a lake and seeing all the way down to the depth and seeing all that the lake has. He uses this illustration as this story is like seeing and peering all the way down into the depth of God's great heart and God's great love for mankind. So I want you to think about as we get into this, okay? Parable of the lost sons, Luke 15, 11. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. Now, for some of you, uh, you know the story, but again, it's basically saying, hey, hey, dad, here's the thing. I want my share. I want a piece out of here. I want my inheritance now. Now, if you know this, again, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out, like if you're asking somebody who's alive for their inheritance, which only comes usually after death, basically the younger son is saying, hey, dad, why don't you die so that I can get your money and go do whatever I will. And that's essentially what he has. So the dad was like, um, okay. And so again, the younger son, takes it, basically saying, hey, you're dead to me. Give me what is mine. And the son set out. And we're told that he kind of starts to spend everything he had, mostly on like white claws. And I'm just kidding. Mostly on like, you know, booze, prostitutes. It's in the story. And then after he runs out of money, a severe famine hits and he's kind of having trouble kind of feeding himself. And then he realizes like, oh, geez, I've got, to find, I've got to find a job. I got nothing. I've run out of money. Then he settles and he's like, you know what? Maybe I can get a job at this farm with the pigs, feeding the pigs to take care of the pigs. Then we told that he's so hungry at the time that he's like, he's like, geez, okay, that actually, what they're eating looks pretty good. Could you imagine how desperate you got to be for real if you're looking at that and you're like, gosh, that looks appetizing. This dude really was at rock bottom. We pick up the story again, verse 17. When he came to his senses, 
Maybe one of my favorite parts of the story. When he came to his senses, I, I, I realized, I've realized what I've done. Again, that finally begin to see things more clearly. I realized like, hey, gosh, my father's home is way better than this home right here that I'm a part of. You know, he kind of had that, that Dorothy moment. Like, hey, there's no place like home. There's no place like home. Then he kicked his heels together. Just kidding, that's Wizard of Oz. So he closed his eyes, you know, kicked his heels, teasing. But he's saying, hey, I, I had no idea. He comes to his senses, I had no idea how good I had it. And he starts to think, I wonder if I can go back. I wonder if I can. But here's the thing, I'm probably gonna be written off, so at least maybe I could be one of my father's hired servants. And so he kind of takes off and he plans to kind of go home. And then he starts to be thinking about the, 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 really the speech he's gonna tell his dad, right? I don't know if you've ever done that. Like you, you kind of, you know you've done wrong. You know maybe you've done something against your parents or whatever. And you're about to come somewhere and you're like, oh my gosh, I have, I've got to give some speech. I've got to think through what can I say so that my dad doesn't whatever. Or what can I say that my grandparent doesn't do this? What can I say that my mom, you know, whatever. When I was 15, true story, um, my mom was a teacher. I was learning to drive. Um, she, she was a, uh, again, she was in education. She had a work van. I was learning to drive on her little Nissan Sentra. That's right. Um, fast and furious. And it was a stick shift. I didn't really know what I was doing, but I did want to take it to school before I was 16. And so one morning, my mom gets up early. She goes off to work. I find her keys. I start up the Sentra. I like, you know, jerk my way to school. Bad idea. Didn't ask permission. I was 15. <clears throat> when I'm at school, I got baseball practice right after. A buddy of mine who's my mom knows his parents as one does. Somehow I get relayed to me, hey, your mom is ticked off. Uh, she's waiting for you at home. And so, of course, like, what did I think was going to happen, right? And I remember literally driving home in that stick shift, all right, probably in third gear because I was terrified to go to fourth. And I had to start thinking of like, what am I going to tell her? What story am I going to make up? What, well, how can I fix this? She's probably not going to ever, ever let me drive. She might cast me out of the house, you know, whatever. She had a little bit of a hot temper. What can I do? And so you know what I did? I lied, made up a story. I said like, hey mom, sorry, I'm, I'm late. Sorry I took the car. I'm just having some really bad girl problems. And I made up this story. I'm, I completely made up this story and lied. And she had compassion on me and was like, well, just don't ever do it again. That's a true story, okay? And I would not recommend lying to your parents. But I do remember just that sheer terror of going, I have got to figure out some type of story to tell. But here's the thing, the younger son, he's not thinking of a lie to tell his dad. He's thinking of like, gosh, how can I get myself back into his good graces? Story picks back up. This is what he says. Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Make me like one of your hired servants. Now, again, we don't know how long the journey was home. We don't know how long he had to kind of rehearse his speech, but I guarantee you, again, he was practicing it over and over again, trying to get the wording right, because again, he's nervous. Right, he's messed up to such a degree that he's like, oh gosh, I, I'm so lost. I've lost that privilege of even having the status of a son. And so I've got to get this speech right. 
And so as here's the thing, as Jesus's audience, specifically the Pharisees, they literally would have thought of the exact same thing, that he's not worthy to be a part of this family anymore. He's not worthy to be a part of this home. And then the unthinkable happens. Verse 20, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. Again, it's so hard if you've heard this story before so many different times, it's hard to put yourself there, but I'm just gonna ask you to, to just to try. Where a son has turned his back, a son is nervous, he's scared, he thinks, oh, I'm only just gonna be a servant. I'm gonna rehearse my speech. And then all of a sudden his dad is there, throws his arm around him, kiss him. He was waiting. His father was there with eyes down the road and he picked him up and he broke every single cultural norm at the time, every single expectation that he would run out and do that with his son and welcome him home with a kiss. The Pharisees, again, they would have been appalled, taken aback. This is how they would have treated his son. So after the embrace, the story goes, this is what, this is kind of how he starts that speech. The son said, hey, father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And one of my favorite parts is, is the father just kind of stops, interrupts him, doesn't give him the chance to finish, which is amazing to me. It's as if the father wasn't even listening, wasn't even concerned, didn't want anything, you know, that, he didn't even care about hearing it. He just wanted to celebrate the fact that his son was home. Getting near the end, verse 22, but the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Friends, I wanted to spotlight this text at the start of the semester because I want you to see the heart of your heavenly father, which is so obvious and blaring through here because believe me that the most important thing isn't what he's done. The most important thing is that he's back. He was dead, but he's now alive. He was lost, but he's now found. He was disconnected from his father, but now he has a relationship. It's been restored. He was gone, but now he is home. And that is a cause for celebration. It's a cause for a welcome, heart, uh, welcome home party, right? So big that, that probably the cops would get called on him. This is the picture of God's extravagant love. He welcomes him back. He forgives him. He puts a ring on him, sandals on his feet, a robe on his shoulders, and the celebration goes on. So again, the third parable, the parable of the lost son is the extravagant love of God. And this is the last thing uh, that I wanna talk about and then we'll be done. For those of you that know the story, there is another brother. There is an older brother that really wasn't thrilled. He was pissed. This is what the text says. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. I call that pissed. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes come home, you kill the fattened calf for him? 
And so the crazy thing, the irony of this story is that although the son, the older son felt left out, he actually, he never left home. He was on the outside, he stayed home and he was truly, again, he never fully understood what it was like, what home really meant. Because if he did, he would have celebrated the return of his younger brother. He would have celebrated what his father had done. See, Jesus shows the love of the heavenly father for that audience, but also for us as well, which is the exact opposite from the self-righteous, the me first mentality of the Pharisees. And so I love, I love Luke 15 because Unlike any of the other parables in the New Testament, it is the heart of God front and center. Again, people over programs, relationships over religion, compassion over criticism, love over legalism. And that's so foundational to what we need to do here. And so again, if it's your, if it's your first time here, if you're just now joining us, or maybe you haven't been uh, around in a while, as we launch into semester, launch into a new year together, I want you to have a better understanding, again, of what we hope to be a part of this home away from home. You see, I believe the heart of God will set the tone for our home. We long for the heart of our Father to be in this place, to be all what He's about, to be all about community, all about family. We also think here at TLR that we want this to be true, that home is where your future is, it's not defined by your past. Home is where your future is not defined by your past. Because we see that in this story from what the father did to the younger son. Home is where illogical, relentless, extravagant love lives. We see that modeled here. We hope that it's modeled here at TLR. And here's the thing, as we interface again with college students all the time, we know that that might not be your story, even at your home, at your house. And we're imperfect. But here's what we hope, that again, this place, you would experience it, the theological, relentless, extravagant love of God lives here. Last thing is home is where we celebrate people who find their way back home. I might be strong on this point. I don't, we don't ever want this place to be or have older brother syndrome. Let me say it again. I and our team, we don't ever want the living room to have older brother syndrome. The second that we forget about the thousands and thousands of college age adults in this area who are in need of a home, who are in need to experience the home as we've described it, okay, when we kind of forget about them, only make it about ourselves, we've totally missed it. And if what, we, what happens here only stays here, I think we're getting it wrong. So how cool would it be that every single week, whether we know it or not, there is a celebration happening for someone who has come home. And I hope that we can be about this place. So I was thinking about a way to uh, kind of end the message. And um, I, I still like, I went long tonight because I'm very passionate about this. Some of it is I feel like I have to talk so much again for those who don't know what TLR is. And so sorry if it's a little long, sorry, not sorry. Uh, but this is kind of how I want to end. Okay, so just humor me. And then I'll tell you some fun stuff that's happening right after this. I wanna read a letter. 
I want to read a letter that I wrote that just describes a little bit of my heart and vision for what I hope to be true of this place and, and your friends. And so um, could you do me a favor? Uh, you might find this a little like, uh, I don't know, but thank goodness we're not really uh, struggling uh, hardcore in a pandemic anyway. I'm going to ask you to stand up. Okay, I'm going to ask you to stand up. And then if you could humor me, I want you to put your arm around somebody next to you. And we will know who or who is not wearing deodorant. Okay? So here's what I know to be true because we see it all the time is that there are college age friends of ours um, who've never experienced family who come to college and come to this area, whether it was, you know, 10 minutes from their house, 10 hours from their house, 10 days flight from their house. And they are really genuinely looking for a place where they can belong and connect. And we wanna provide that for you. And so uh, please know that we're gonna be doing this every single week. And we invite you back to be a part again of, of a community that we believe God is building and God's quite at home at. Here's the letter called a letter of hope. To the person who doesn't have it all together, you've messed up, you struggle, you're not perfect. You wanna live a life that makes a difference, but you don't know that you have what it takes. To all of you who desperately want your college age years to tell a story that's worth sharing, this is for you. The living room isn't perfect, it's far from it. It's not just a place we gather on Wednesday nights, it's a people, it's a family where every single one matters. We're all in this together, High School Musical. You have a role to play. You can belong here even before you believe in Jesus or even if you never do. You are loved always when you mess up and you will. Please don't run from the church please run to it. You can come as you are and come back as you are. The living room should be a hospital for the hurting, a safe haven for the broken, and even good soil for those who wanna grow and deepen their relationship with Jesus. There's always hope, always grace, always second chances, always love. And friends, we're gonna laugh together. We're gonna cry together. We're gonna sing together. We're gonna dance together. We're gonna to eat together <laughs> a lot and we will celebrate with and for one another. And the last I could tell, there are over 18,000 college age humans in the North Georgia area who need to know they're invited to the party and we'll do whatever it takes. We'll do whatever it takes to get them here. They need to know that their future is not defined by their past. They need to know that there is a God that has an illogical, relentless, extravagant love for them. They need to find a home. And the living room is a home away from home for so many people here. And our hope is that it will be a home away from home for every single one of you. Thanks for listening. I'd love to pray for us. And then I'll tell us what's next. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you so much for creating a space like this to create a, a home away from home like this, where hopefully we can experience all that we've talked about tonight. 
that when for many of our friends, new and old, when they, when they wanna find love, they wanna find connection, they wanna find belonging, they wanna find authentic people, they wanna be real, but maybe they're scared. Could they find a safe place to do that? We hope that it's here. And God, the truth is as, as leaders and small group leaders and those who are a part of putting on TLR week in, week out here and up on campus, as imperfect as we are, God, I hope that you would continue to give us a vision and make it known and make it happen. Where even those who are far from you, who've turned their backs, have said, I wanna go and do it my own way. When they might turn and they might be curious, God, that they can start that journey back home in and through the living room. And so for those here that maybe they've, maybe they've never placed their faith in you, for those that maybe they have, they would call themselves a Christian, but, but maybe they haven't, I don't know, they haven't spent any time with you. Maybe they've turned their back. Maybe that relationship is a little dormant, a little stale. God, would you, would you be so gracious to begin a new journey for each of them. So God, we're, we're so again, thankful uh, for tonight and for this kickoff and we cannot wait to see uh, what you're gonna have for us in store. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.